mixed martial arts and boxing fans. It's time for Fighters Fury, Inside the Heart of a Champion, with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. And good whenever, everybody, whenever you're listening to this. This is a little tape version. We're going straight up podcast as it's... uh, it is time to recap UFC 239. Uh, no, everybody, I appreciate our main audience. So you guys, you tune in and you try and get the recaps um, right away. And normally I'm there. Um, my, one of my best friends was getting married this weekend in the Keys. Just happened to be that it was on the weekend of the biggest UFC of all time. Not poor timing at all, but, you know, is what it is. And what a thriller, man. And, and in fact, this is the funny thing about it. You know, I just couldn't make it back to the studio on Sunday on time for those things. Cause you know, I was enjoying, enjoying my time with, uh, with my, with my wife and my friends and all that stuff, but was actually able to pull up at the time, the ceremony and, and all the dancing and all that stuff was kind of dissipated. Uh, I was right there for the thriller of all thrillers. And that was Miami zone, our own George Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal, street, Jesus game bread himself, Five-second knockout of Ben Askren, fastest knockout in UFC history, solidifying himself for the title shot. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is done. That is the way we have to go. That is the way it should be. Like this, this idea. You go out there and you take in this guy who you know you've 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 brought in in Ben Askren, and you've thought, oh, he's going to be this hot topic. He's going to be this hot. To- he's going to be this guy. He gets all this buzz on social media. Jorge Masvidal knocks him out in five seconds, fresh off knocking out Darren Till in Liverpool in his own building. These types of sensational wins that you know maybe was something that that he didn't have in the in the in the early part of his career, the quote unquote prime of his career, but now is doing in such stunning fashion. The character to back it up, the guy who is is just he's he's the people's champ, man. Like he is the he is. The realest of them all in the post-fight interviews. If guys are talking bleep to him, bop, 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 three-piece in the soda. The guy is marketing brilliance, and he has represented himself incredibly well on this run. And that knockout of Ben Askren was unfreaking believable and has solidified no doubt in anybody's mind that that guy should get a chance to fight for the title. All respect to Colby Covington, who, you know, if we were talking about this thing a year ago, was for sure in the catbird seat to get himself a title shot. But... You know how this game is. Times pass, fans' eyes, they move on to different things. And right now, the guy who has to be fighting for that championship is Jorge Masvidal. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Not Colby Covington, not Tyron Willie, not Robbie Lawler. If he beats Colby Covington, nobody should jump Jorge Masvidal in line. He has done all there is to do to solidify that championship shot. It was unbelievably great by him yesterday. What a thriller, man. And a guy who's had a 16-year career, a guy who was fighting in the back streets in Miami, with Kimbo Slice, all that stuff has been from promotion to promotion. Has been a UFC savant. Has now gotten his career to this point at 34 years old, where he looks like he's more unstoppable than ever. It is. It, it's really something to marvel at, man. It really, really something is. And and not only that, but just the personality this guy has. Like, listen to this exchange that he has uh, with a reporter after the win yesterday. I saw some criticism. People say the punches weren't really necessary. Maybe they were super necessary. Why were they necessary? What do you mean, why were they not necessary? Because he was already knocked out at that point. But it, the referee hadn't pulled me off. And my job is to hit somebody till the referee pulls me off. So to those people, I would say maybe don't watch him and may go back to soccer. 
I saw some other criticisms, perhaps, of your celebration afterwards. Any regrets at the celebration or your behavior in the cage afterwards? There's not too many people that I've disliked. I have over 50 pro fights, and he's one of them. You know, he talked about my manhood, talked about my culture, my ethnicity. Where, where do we drop? Why do certain people get to do stuff you online? So you could do anything. Everything is cool before a fight. You're allowed to do and say whatever you want. Like other fighters are not doing, talking about people's religions, wife, even kids. That's cool. But after a fight, I'm not allowed to showboat and rub it in your face so you and guys like you could see it and be like, maybe I don't talk so much because when I cross one of these real they're going to make me pay for it, man. They're going to embarrass the out of me. And it's not over for Ben either. He still has to deal with me. If I see him at Whole Foods, I'm going to still slap that dude up because I don't like him. That's just the realest it gets, man. How do you not love that? Of all the, the talking that goes on and all the blabbing that goes on, that to me is is purely what it's all about. This guy comes in there. And is just explaining to you what he's about, how he's about doing it, and and how can you not respect that? Everything that he goes out there and does, really, really awesome. So congratulations to Jorge Masvidal, Ben Askren, man. Like that was, it, it was vicious. It was vicious, and a guy who, funny enough, th- there's a couple things. One, the follow up shots. People, have, people have got a problem with the follow up shots. You're crazy. First of all, Ben Askren just is a fight removed. From Robbie Lawler dumping him on, literally dumping him on his head, and the fight not getting stopped, and him being able to get the win over Robbie Lawler, however controversial it was. So you want Jorge Masvidal to let up? I mean, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Where again? Think about this: Ben Askren's last fight got dumped on his head by Robbie Lawler. Fight wasn't stopped. And yet, you guys want to get mad at Jorge Masvidal for follow-up shots on Ben Askren with a flying knee. It's just crazy to me how that's something that anybody finds controversial. And the celebration afterwards, like, people are getting upset about that. It's like, man, this is this is fighting. And I don't need the full pause. Is, sporting, is, is sportsmanship nice? Is it nice? Yeah, it's nice. It's a, it's a nice thing. But sportsmanship, to me is like a luxury. It's a luxury. It's not something that everybody has to do. It's not something that everybody deserves. And if if Jorge Masvidal feels like he was disrespected, which, you know, you definitely could look at the things that Ben Askren had said about him in the lead-up to this fight and say those things were disrespectful, then his sportsmanship is a luxury. And if he chooses not to, to, to bestow Ben Askren with that, then so be it. People want to go, oh, be the bigger man. Be, be the bigger man. Be the bigger man. What? The bigger man was the was the guy who cracked the dude upside the knee and, and is still conscious. Be the bigger man. I just don't – I never got that. Like, Ronda Rousey got a, fla- a lot of flack for that back in the day with Misha Tate, where she wouldn't shake Misha Tate's hand afterwards when she almost broke her arm and almost won fights. It's like, well, you want her to be a phony about it? Sportsmanship is a luxury. It's, it's not something that everybody should get all the time. It's really not. And would Ben Askren have been – Super sportsmanlike if he would afterwards, or would he have made a meme out of George Masvidal? What would have happened? What do you think would have happened? Yeah, maybe they, they shake hands and kiss babies, but ultimately, a lot of the times after that, that faux sportsmanship is out there anyway. Most of the guys are making memes or doing funny tweets or any of that stuff anyway. So, I don't know. For me, it was absolutely inbounds what George did, and I'm happy for him. Great win. Way to represent uh, yourself your coaches, your family, your city, all that stuff, uh, tremendous. Tremendous done by 
Jorge Masvidal yesterday. Congratulations to him and hope to see him get a, a title shot against Kamaru Usman real, real soon. I know Dana said afterwards, like, uh, we don't even know if Kamaru's healthy. And look, um, I know that Kamaru may look at this and think, well, there's this natural rivalry with Colby Covington. Look, I don't know what Colby's going to be able to do against Robbie Lawler, who says nothing. How is he going to be able to go out there? Unless he goes out there with Robbie Lawler and he absolutely starches him in in some stunning fashion that looks more dominant than that. And unless it's going to be a four-second knockout, I don't know how we could look at that. And, and even, look, say what you want about the Robbie Lawler-Ben Askren fight. Ultimately, Ben Askren got his hand raised, okay? So you're going to tell me it's more impressive for Colby Covington to beat the guy who lost to Ben Askren than the guy who, who than George Masvidal having a win over the guy that beat Robbie Lawler. It just linearly, stylistically, buzzworthiness, all that stuff, it just doesn't make sense how you could look at that and say that's more of a number one contender fight than what Masvidal just did. You guys know I root for him hard. He's done, uh, given us a lot of good interviews and given us time and all that stuff and been super generous with it. But, um, look, it, it's just, at, at this point, it's I, like the Darren Till thing, okay, it was arguable. You could have arguments. Say, well, just one win over Darren Till. Was Darren Till slightly overrated? Uh, but Ben Askren, think of his skills what you want, but have more buzz behind him in this welterweight division from a social media standpoint than I think anybody else did. Not Colby Covington, not Usman, not Woodley. And he just got knocked out faster than anybody in the history of the promotion. So what can be more defying than that? What can be more of an an exclamation point than that? Tremendous by him. Let's get into some of the other card. Uh, You had John Jones. He got a win over Tiago Santos defending his light heavyweight title. So John Jones improves. He is now remains only with that one disqualification loss. He is now 25-1-1 in his career. Of course, the one no contest to Daniel Cormier because of the uh, turnaball. And this was the thing. So, again, I was at a wedding, so I didn't see this fight live. I saw the Masvidal fight live, and I tuned in for Amanda Nunes. None of these things lasting very long. I don't think I could, uh, I, I could have uh, convinced the wife that I could watch 25 minutes of a fight. So I actually ended up back at the hotel, watched the last round of this, and I knew that they were saying that Tiago was very into the fight. Um, I thought that John won the last round, and I, the decisions were split. So the judges, one judge thought it was in the favor of Santos. Went back and watched it yesterday. Um, I know I had some people text me about it. You know, John didn't look great. Santos, I thought that he won. He thought he fought gutsy, fought himself on an injured leg, um, which has to be absolutely praised. I think this, I think that John definitely won that fight. Um, not a fight I want to see right away, but Tiago Santos, I think, definitely fought well enough that if he goes and gets himself a couple more wins or does something sensational in the next fight that he has. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight for the title again. That's kind of where I put it. This happens sometimes when you take on a guy who looks as dominant as John has in his career. And I think that when a guy looks so game and you know he's fighting through something, you 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 grade his you score his rounds on a curve. It's curve scoring, and I think that's kind of what happened with Tiago Santos here. 
I do think John won those fights. I thought that Tiago, uh, second round where his knee clearly was right. That was probably the best round that he put forth. Did a lot of damage to John on the legs, and people will look at John in the aftermath and say, well, how can you say this guy win? Look at his legs. It's like, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, if we're going to go off of uh, off of leg kicks, um, those are certainly – leg kicks are, very a hard, are a hard thing to score from this standpoint um, because people almost give, like, jabs more credit than they will a leg kick because – you don't realize the kind of pain that's in there. So I think that's fair. Uh, Tiago definitely did work there and and definitely put in uh, put money in the bank. But I don't feel like he really ever stopped John from coming forward. John was stalking him basically the entire fight. And so from that standpoint, and I do this with boxing too, it was like, well, the guy had a great job. The guy had a great job. It's like, well, yeah, he had a great job, but the guy keeps coming forward and the guy keeps coming forward. So what is it doing for him? Is he Is he really making him think twice? And I thought that John was always coming forward in that fight. He was stalking Tiago, um, was really beating him up as the fight went on, and you could definitely tell that Santos was limited by the injury, but I thought John won that fight. I thought John won the fight clearly, and what's next for him? You know, he asked this on Twitter on Sunday, and that was the one cool thing about his taping the show on a Monday. We get some of the, the Sunday stuff, and he says, you know, who do you, who do you want me to face next? Um, and, you know, people are throwing, they want to see the DC thing, and didn't seem that into that. Um, from my standpoint... Um, I don't really see a light heavyweight that I'm very excited about John Facey right now. Obviously, the big guy that everybody was hoping it was going to be was Luke Rockhold, um, who suffered a, a, a really devastating loss to Jan Blakowicz. And, you know, they said Luke has a broken jaw. It's it, it's really tough for Luke Rockhold. You know, this is a guy who had all the talent in the world, former middleweight champion, um, but has fallen on hard times. He really has. He's he's fallen on hard times with his record, um, with injuries, all the stuff that he has going on in the cage. You know, Dana White was suggesting that he retires. I don't know about that. I mean, Luke is really is a very talented guy, and 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 I think a lot of people think he has the talent to beat almost anybody in the sport. But old you know, wins have to count for something, and and the guy is is not piling those up um you know someone mentioned Dominic Reyes I know John said like uh you know do you think he, he seemed open to that you know do, they, do you think he wants to smoke I think that would that would finish John basically taking out everybody in the top five at light heavyweight Jan is a fighter is uh is is, is, a, is a place away so he probably will move up to the top five of that so I think there's an argument there um but if I'm if I'm being totally honest about it and I look at the top 15 at light heavyweight right now, the only guy I'm the least bit intrigued about John facing is Johnny Walker. And I know he's not ready for a title shot yet. I know he's not deserving of a title shot quite yet. But that's that's about the guy. I'm, I'm not really into him seeing him fight Vulcan, not really Corey Anderson, uh, not Alir Latifi. Teixeira been there, done that. Shogun been there, done that. You know, like if I look at this ranking system Johnny Walker is the light heavyweight that I want now if we're going to talk about who do I want John to really face I mean if we're going to have fun with it and I look at heavyweight I mean I think the the craziest matchup you can make right now is him versus Francis Ngannou like we should just honestly I'm not even joking about that because you were going to take on Brock Lesnar like let's be real about it you were going to take on Brock Lesnar who is a freak show and we've always wanted to see him face Rumble Johnson. 
That Rumble Johnson fight's never going to happen at light heavyweight. J- Rumble's too big. I mean, I know he mentioned to, uh, he was at he did submission underground this week, Chel Sonnen's uh, thing, and said that he'd come back to the UFC for the right price. But it ain't going to be at it ain't going to be at light heavyweight. And so, I think I mean John versus Francis. My God. Now this is the only thing I would say to put that in the cooker. Is I think it's bigger if Francis ends up becoming heavyweight champion. So I don't think there's a need to rush it, but that's the fight that intrigues me most. Him versus Stipe intrigues me. I'm not. I'm one of these guys, I'm not really into seeing him versus DC again. I know I will be when the fight promotion eventually gets there because DC will have the positive steroid test to go forth and, and, and run with that. But, man, they got to get to that fight quick because DC is going to retire soon. I just don't know if the times match up with it. Um... But if I, I'm telling you, if there was one guy I really want to see him face, it's it's Francis Ngannou. I want to see that fight. I want to see the most dominant fighter in UFC history in John Jones take on the most devastating puncher in UFC history. That's the fight I want to see. Amanda Nunes continues to do her GOAT stuff. Head kicks Holly Holm. Knocks her out in the first round. I, what what accolades, what more can we pour on Amanda Nunes? She's incredible. She is She's the GOAT. We said this when she fought, when she knocked out Chris Cyborg, that the, she is the rare person in sports where there is no argument, there's not a debate, there's no bullet points, there's nothing else to say. She is the greatest of all time, and that's it. And period. And that's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to put forth there. So she gets herself a big win over Holly Holm. Uh, Holly is. She's another one who's a little bit at a crossroads of the career. She's 37 years old. She's gonna be 38 in October, and you know, from from the standpoint of her mixed martial arts career, she has since the lost since the incredible knockout win over Ronda Rousey, which stunned the world four years ago. She is two and five in her career with wins over Betchkoeha. And Megan Anderson. So, what's really left? I mean, she's fought Misha. She's fought Valentina. She's fought Cyborg. She's fought Amanda. You know, none of these fights that close. So, I mean, the Misha Tate fight was close. Misha Tate's retired. She's a talk show host and runs 1FC now. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know what's left for Holly Holm in her career. I don't know. Unless, you know... Somebody is interested in in putting her in boxing. You know, there's female boxing is getting super popular again, and maybe putting her in a situation where the former UFC women's champion goes and goes into boxing. You know, I don't think it's that crazy. I don't know what her UFC contract is or all that, but I don't know what's left for her to do in the sport. You know, it's it's hard to it's 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 hard to get back from that mountaintop of knocking out Ronda Rousey when Ronda Rousey was the biggest thing on the planet in combat sports and you head kicked her to hell um basically ruined her career i don't know what else there is to do for Holly Holm she's incredible she'll always have that as being her legacy um but right now yes yeah, we're in the spot where there's uh there's not much else you could say with with uh with places of her no clear paths anyway i don't feel like there's a clear path for her to go anywhere uh, Michael Chiesa got himself a great win over Diego Sanchez. Dangerous at welterweight. Um, Diego Sanchez talking like a crazy person in the lead up to this fight. Uh, had himself a weird coach in the corner. So 
you know, a guy who was the 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 poster child for Greg Jackson. It's tough for Greg Jackson. I'll say this: like Greg Jackson's, which is known as the uh, the perennial gym. You know, they got kind of worked. They got kind of worked this week compared to ATT. You know, and I know John got the win over Tiago, but Tiago was game as hell and fought on one leg basically. Amanda, of course, and Masvidal. I mean, they all just showed out. ATT had an unbelievable showing. Not the best. I mean, people would say not the best John Jones performance, probably the least inspiring we've seen since his fight against OSP. Holly Holm, loss. Diego Sanchez, you know, your 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 longtime poster guy, and, and he ended up leaving the gym because he felt like he couldn't get attention, something that Donald Cerrone criticized them for only a couple months back. So, yeah, man, uh, that is, uh, that's, that's a tough spot for them. And, yeah. Those are those are the big headlines from everything, man. That was that was the the big rundown from everything. Claudia Gadelia, she got herself, uh, she got herself a victory. She wants to fight Yana and Jacek again. Uh, I'm into that. Uh, Yadong Song, he got himself a devastating knockout over Alejandro Perez. So shout out to him, and he got himself a bonus. Jan Blockwood's got himself a bonus. Ori Masvidal got himself a bonus, and Amanda Nunes got herself a bonus. So that is where it is. That is where it will be coming up next week. You have Jermaine Durandamy against Aspen Ladd coming up from Sacramento. Uriah Faber is taking on Ricky Simone. That is the return of Uriah Faber, current UFC Hall of uh, Hall of Famer. He is coming back into the game, so we'll check that out. Juliana Pena is making her return to the Octagon this week, fresh off motherhood. She's taking on Nico Montagna. Um, Ryan Hall, Darren Elkins, I'm into that fight. One guy who's absolutely crazy versus a guy who's doing nothing but heel hooks. So that's an interesting matchup. A lot of interesting stuff. Josh Emmett's back on this card. Um, yeah, so solid card coming up next week as far as UFC is concerned. That's a recap, everybody, of UFC 239. Get Masvidal that title shot. Get him that title shot. When we come, All right, so on the end of the side of this podcast, you'll get the rest of our episode that we had. We had Peter Kahn in studio, a uh, good buddy of mine, boxing manager extraordinaire, does the Fight Guys on YouTube, covers boxing for Forbes magazine. A lot of fascinating insight into the boxing game. We talked Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman. He had recently been to the gym with Keith Thurman. We talked about uh, Paulie Malinaji and the bare knuckle uh, fight against Artem Lobov. He has been in communication with Paulie Malinaji. We talked about Canelo's next fight and a lot of the things shaking out. And he's always got an interesting mind for how things are in the game. So on the other side of this, you'll get our episode that we aired on Sunday with Peter Kahn. Fascinating boxing talk. Everybody, thank you for downloading the podcast. If you can, subscribe. If you haven't already, rate, review on Apple and iTunes, all that stuff. I don't think actually, is there an iTunes anymore? I don't think there is an iTunes. Whatever. Apple Podcast. You guys know what to do. You guys are you guys have found this show, so you're savvy enough. Love you guys, and uh, more show after this. This is WAXYAM South Miami and WSFSFM HD2 Miramar, a radio.com sports station. Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury, inside the heart of a champion, with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighter's Fury here on 790, The Ticket. Very excited to be joined in studio by my guest, Peter Kahn, joining us, boxing manager extraordinaire, world traveler. World Traveler, it's good to see you home, man. <laughs> it's good to see me home. It's good, it's good, 
Could have, you've been to, to damn Greece. You've been to everywhere, every corner of the earth, it seems like. How, I, is, I, how is it to be back in South Florida? It feels good. I had to reintroduce myself to the family. Yeah. I was like, uh, I'm home. You know, it was, it was a, it was a, um, June was an interesting month. I got on an airplane uh, in the mor- on the morning of June 1st, landed in Athens. No, no, landed in Turkey, in Istanbul. Right. To learn that Andy Ruiz knocked out Anthony Joshua. Crazy. Didn't have Wi-Fi for like the last six hours of that flight and was just, really was just waiting to figure out like when Joshua won. Right. And then as soon, we as, all were. as soon as I land, first thing I do is like, you know, get the, the roaming and and then I'm like looking at the picture of Ruiz and I'm, I, you know, I was as shocked as anyone. Of course. And uh, so it started on the 1st. I was in Athens with George Cambosis Jr. Yep. Who is... Uh, He's been on the show. Everybody's uh, heard George now. If you guys missed it, he's on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Um, really good story from him. And he is Australian, but of Greek heritage. And so he was fighting in Greece for the first time as he's uh, working his way up to a world title. And how was that? It was it was, it was was great. Uh, it was like a homecoming. So we get off the plane, right? And then so... First, we, we fly to Turkey. That was the long flight. That was like the 11 and a half hour flight. And then it's only one hour to Athens. We get off the plane. He starts speaking fluent Greek. The cameras are there. Wow. The, the media is there. I'm like, I didn't even know you speak Greek. So he starts uh, with the fluent Greek, which was, which was fantastic. And, you know, sure enough, anywhere I go in the world, I'm bound to bump into someone that I know. Mm-hmm. So there was a fighter you might be familiar with. Uh, throughout the 2000s named Mike Arnudis, Mighty Mike Arnudis. And he was a contender type. Okay. Fought for the title a couple of times. And we get off the airplane, and he looks at me. I'm looking at him, and George's trainer, Javier Centeno, who uh, owns Centeno Sweatbox Boxing down here in Davie, who yep, has yep. a training camp, says to Mike, you look familiar. And I'm looking at Mike, and I'm like, yeah, he does look familiar. And then... Javier says, Mike Arnudis? And then Mike looks at me, and I'm not going to say what he said to me on the air, but uh, he was still sore about losing uh, or getting a draw against Juan Urango on Showbox in, like, oh, 2003. Wow. Really? Yeah, he's still holding that grudge. Holds me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> I was none of the judges, but, you know, what can you say? So then we get to Greece. Everything was great. Um, his fight was great. It was good for him now that he had transitioned trainers to Javier yeah. and his training out of uh, South Florida. It was really good work. Richard Pena, who we fought, was uh, 11 wins with nine knockouts. Really game. Really tall. Really long. It was good for George. Uh, but he ended up stopping him in the sixth round. So that was really good. Then I came back, was home for three days, and then I had to fly to Las Vegas for the Fury uh, Schwartz show because I had Andy Vences fighting Albert Bell on that show. Wow. So was there for a week, came back, was home for three days, then I was in Tampa for the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, which was fantastic. Let me ask you about that. Let's stop there. All right. Yeah. So the Bare Knuckle thing. Yeah. It got brought down here to Florida, which I was a little bit surprised about um, just because I know like Florida had some weird, uh, they had some weird rules about they had to wear some kind of uh, wrist glove almost mm-hmm. to, to make it happen. Um, and I had heard that like, you know, they, I think what you said, like, they originally wanted to do it in Miami and it ended up going to Tampa obviously a highly publicized rivalry between Paulie Malignaggi and Artem Lobov because of the McGregor thing, which has now seemingly been a story for three years with, right. uh, with these guys going back and forth at it. Um, 
what was your experience like with that? Because you're used to boxing. This is not boxing. And it's always like it's kind of like boxing has to adopt combat sports as cousins as far as sanctioning it, scoring it, judging it. Um, what was the atmosphere like? What was the whole kind of process of taking that in like for you? So first and foremost, the promoter, David Feldman, mm-hmm. excellent guy. Yeah. Great guy. Humble, low-key, hard worker. When he's not going in the ring and threatening to take half a guy's pay for action. He regretted that. I, yeah, well, he, he, it yeah, wasn't he, his best moment. No, like, and, I, and, I, and he admittedly regretted that and said he shouldn't have done that. And so he, he knew that. That was from the BKFC 5 Yep, on the, the Jason Knight Lobov show. And, I mean, to his point, the whole idea was that when guys say they want to fight bare knuckle, he prefaces it with, but you can't run. Mm-hmm. People don't want to come pay to watch a bare knuckle fight and see you run. Just don't don't sign up for it. Right. You know, we, that's and and you know that was sort of part of what he emphasized to Paulie too. But mm-hmm. we'll get we'll get there. Yeah. So David's great. Uh, he's hard worker. Um, he really put together a great event. Uh, and the the wrist glove is really not a glove. It's a glove, but it's not. Uh, look, the biggest issue that bare knuckle fighting is going to have is guys breaking hands. Yep. So anything that you could do to mitigate that, like protect the wrist and the thumb, obviously you want to do that because then it's not going to last long. So that's really the only protection is the wrist and the thumb. That's it. Yep. Knuckles are bare. Yep. So this was my first bare knuckle event. And I'm sitting there inside the corral ringside and I'm thinking to myself like I'm a voyeur of a street fight yeah. with a referee. And that's what it felt like. And what was great about it is that it's five two-minute rounds. It goes. And so the fights move fast, and the guys fight, and you hear 20 rows deep, you hear mm-hmm. um, I, so, somewhat of that. You hear. It's a very raw, it's a very raw thing. It's a very on. raw thing. And, you know, guys can't just go all out like people think. Yeah. Because then they're going to break their hands. Like, they have to be somewhat strategic about it. But the cuts come easy. The teeth go flying easy. The noses get busted easy. Yep. A lot of superficial. So Stitch Jacob Duran was there. Yep. Who everybody might know is Stitch. He is. Uh, if any, I'm sure everybody who, if you don't know who Stitch Duran is and you listen to our show, he is dude who has the mustache, the glasses, always has the slick back hair. Uh, had a thing with the UFC where like the UFC ousted him as a cut man years ago. But he's probably the most recognizable dude you always see getting a fighter ready to go in the ring or is dealing with cuts. So Stitch is like the most famous cut man. From a uh, you know, from a public standpoint, yeah, and a lot of people know him from the Creed movies. Yep, yep. And so, like you said, he was with the UFC. He decided to be outspoken about their Reebok deal, and that that ended their relationship. But nonetheless, Stitches, you know, works a lot in boxing still, a lot in mixed martial arts. So he was there, and I spoke to him about the safety of bare knuckle. And you know, to his point, he was like, "Look, it's a cut man's dream." Guaranteed work. No doubt. But it's a lot of superficial injuries, meaning bruises, cuts, scrapes, but you're not getting that brain injury that can be associated with other combat sports. Sure. So uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I liked Johnny Bedford and uh, I already forgot his it was name. the title fight, right? Yeah, that was yeah, a that great was a really fight. good fight. That was a good fight. Reggie Barnett. Yeah, that was that, a good fight. That was an excellent fight. So I was sitting with Randall Bailey, former... 
uh, three division two time world champion in boxing at mm-hmm. 140 and 147. And we looked at each other at one point. And we're like, we really like this. Like this was like you're enjoying it. I was enjoying it. I think the way I took it in as a fan is, um, and I could tie in the main event with this is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm intrigued by it because I'm a person, as you know, like I like a lot of combat sports. You know, I'm, I'm into, I'm into boxing. I love mixed martial arts. So this, uh, this immediately, it didn't take much for this to to get my attention. I watched the last, the last few cards with this with. Beck Rawlings when she was in uh, on cards and Artem Lobov, Jason Knight. I watched that 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 fight card. So, Pauly Malinaji, Artem Lobov. I know the whole backstory. Uh, I know how emotional Pauly was about it. So I was into it. Um, he's still emotional about it. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think he's ever not going to be emotional about it now that he's getting into beefs with you know Chael Sonnen and Ben Askren, who say he sucks at boxing. But the way I the way I was interested about this is because Pauly is going about this fight. And he's trying to win the fight like a boxer, but it's not boxing. Right. And as I mentioned with David Feldman's claim, the last card, even though I didn't like what he said, I understand now what the culture of his sport is. Right. And what he has imagined, uh, what he imagines it to be. So how do you go about scoring that? That's, 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 that's when, that's what I'm still trying to grasp when watching bare knuckle. Is this a sport that is built on accumulation? Is it just damage? Is it a guy who gets the best flurry in a round? Is it a guy who just touches you the most? That, I think, is still uh, very much in the works of what is this stuff if a fight doesn't get stopped and there aren't guys who get dropped in a fight. Right, and I think that, you know, it's a great question, and, you know, we a lot of us talked about that. Right now, there's just gonna, they're going to probably use the boxing criteria. Right. Because it's the closest to a boxing match, two guys standing up. You're pretty much abiding by boxing rules. The only rule that that is not a boxing rule is you can actually hold the guy behind the head in a clinch and punch him in the face. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because that brings you back to the eighth grade meet me by the bike racks and one sure. guy gets a guy in a headlock, the, the Nolan Ryan, you know, <laughs> punch him. That sort of reminds me of. Right. And that's actually where Artem Lobov hurt Pauly. It's where he cut him above the eye. Yep. Was when he grabbed him and gave him, you know, gave him the business. And so I think right now they're going to score it primarily like boxing until they can set up some sort of education yeah. and some sort of and criteria the stuff, specific. The stuff takes a while. I mean, mixed martial arts just changed their rules criteria, I want to say, a year and a half ago. Not every state has even adopted it yet uh, on, on what they consider now 10 eights, trying to be more... Uh, trying to be more liberal with giving people 10-8s if they really dominate a round because, you know, if a guy edges out around, it's 10-9, but if a guy dominates around, he's still getting 10-9, like, unless it's just the craziest dominant round you've ever seen. So this stuff takes time. Right. Like, it's it's not it's not something that will come to it quickly, I think. Well, there's got to be education. Yeah. So once you decide what that criteria is, you need to educate the judges in how to score it. Then you have to make sure there's accuracy and consistency. Um, so, I mean, look, Boxing still hasn't figured this out. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. That's... But uh, but it was a great event. They come back August 10th in Biloxi. Remember, it's only approved right now in five states. Yep. So I think it's like Wyoming, Delaware, Mississippi, Florida, and there's one other state. I don't, I don't remember. But, you know, right now, uh, I think that just from what I'm seeing and hearing, like in the combat sports space from MMA guys and boxing guys, this whole like, oh, MMA beat boxing. I mean, you know, that's. Artem Lobov beat Pauli Malignaggi in a really, if this was a schoolyard fight, 
they'd raise both hands and so, okay, you guys settled your beef. Like, yeah. this wasn't like some, I don't even know how to score that fight. I, I thought Paulie won, to be honest with you, not just, I'm not being, like, partial. I thought he won three rounds to two. Yeah. But. I, I definitely could see it being three rounds to two. Like. But I don't know. But it's, it. but I do come away with, but I don't know what they're going on. I mean, I didn't fall on the floor going, oh, that's a rob. Like, I, you know, some, some. And it's, it's clear. It was unanimous. And and the thing that's not surprising about it, because Paulie's a guy who's had hand injuries, is that he injured his hand and you could see you could that see it. it was fighting a one-handed fight. Yeah. He stopped throwing his right hand. Yeah. So you've been tied to him. Yeah. In the lead up to this thing, how how did he think? I know that he thought that he won, but how did he take all of it? Because this is this was a very highly dramatic, publicized fight buildup where the guys were getting very emotional. He's spitting at Artem. They're trying to sell a fight, obviously with uh, with the whole McGregor background of it. Um, once it's all fallen out, and he is having the world kind of pointing and, and laughing at him because oh, you lost to a 500 mixed martial artist in a bare right. knuckle fight. Uh, is he taking that okay? And and does he what? What does he? I guess want the follow up from all this to be. I mean, the, the day after we were texting, uh, because the day after I had come back to South Florida, and then I don't even know where I just was. Oh, two days later, I went to California. So we, you know, we were texting. He was disappointed. He got paid well. That's good. So that's always good. You know, I asked him, I go, did you, did you deposit your check? He said yes. I go, okay, so you won. <laughs> So, you know, I, I'm like, look, it's over, right? Like, we have to deal with these things. And he he knows more than anyone. He's a great analyst, in my opinion. He's a great analyst. Okay. Yeah. I enjoy watching him on Showtime. He's a friend, but I'm not partial to him because he's a friend. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, even if he doesn't like what I have to say, because I don't always agree what he has to say if any of my fighters fight and he critiques them on Showtime. I don't start complaining. Right. You know, he's entitled to his opinion. I did think he won, but I told him this was close. Yeah. And I go, and you hurt your hand. And it was really the unknown because leading up to this, he trained as a boxer. So until you're in there and until it's bare knuckle to bare knuckle and you're figuring this thing out, these rounds also moved very fast. Right. So like I'm thinking in my mind, why is he going to the body? Right. Like, why is he jabbing to the body? Now, look, you can say, oh, he was jabbing to the body to set up the right hand to put the eyes down. But there's just not a lot of time. So uh, I think that, you know, he was disappointed because he's very competitive. And he doesn't like to lose. Listen, all that stuff about Lobov and all that, you know, Paulie knows how to sell. He has nothing against Artem Lobov. No, they seem cool afterwards. Whatsoever. At all. Like, that was just, you know, he's fine with him. You know, he sincerely, you know, I think maybe, you know, look, everything he did leading up to the fight did draw more interest to it. Oh, there's no doubt. It was everywhere. Uh, from every combat page that there is, for every boxing page that there is, people are into this. This people, was this was this was a weekend that had UFC, Bellator, uh, a very packed uh, combat sports weekend. This had the headlines. Right. This is what everybody was focused on. And he and he really made people hate him. Yeah, to tune in to hopefully watch him lose. Right. We'll uh, take a break here on Fighters Show. We'll come back in some of the things that are going on in the boxing game. We'll roll on with Peter Kahn right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket.
Welcome back, Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. Tobin here with you, joined by Peter Kahn in studio. Always enjoy having Peter uh, in on the program. You got a, what, what podcast are you rolling with these days, man? You got a, you got a really one that's, that's, that's butting up on YouTube and all over the place. And uh, you, you tell a little bit about uh, what we got going on for the audience. So the Fight Guys has been around now for a couple of years, and uh, it's me and Brian Mazik. Uh, now we also both write the boxing content for Forbes. Nice. And we decided to team up and really run with this fight guys thing. And at first it was, you know, when we have time, we'll, you know, we'll do the podcast. Right. We'll, we'll try to bang one out weekly. Uh, you know, we have a nice platform in which we can help promote it via our, our Forbes content. But then we started with this YouTube content because Brian's like, look, he's like, you're always sending me all of this, like, content just for my own personal viewing from, like, these events. He's like, we should start putting this stuff up on no YouTube. Doubt. So sure enough. It's become addictive. Like, now I'm having breakfast with Manny Robles. I'm like, Manny, hold on. I'm going to take out my camera. We're going to do five-minute interviews. It's like, okay. That's awesome. Or like, I'm with Tiafimo Lopez at the pool. Hey, let's go over here and let's just talk about what's coming up next for you. Very cool. Uh, Richard Comey wandering the lobby after beating Ray Beltran. I was sitting in Ray Beltran's room on his bed after he didn't make weight talking to him about not making weight yeah nothing gets me on youtube like i because of the algorithm that it puts up on your page and i obviously subscribe to a lot of uh combat content i mean it just like youtube just knows how to hook you into those wormholes and you just get you you get down and you are just looking at everything from everything i was just in the gym with keith thurman when i was in tampa i'm like you know what i'm like i gotta go i'm gonna go see keith at the gym tonight at eight o'clock while he's doing his strength and conditioning and i'm yeah. gonna go interview him so the thing is is that my access really provides me yeah. with the ability to put some compelling content. So we have a combination of those one-on-ones. I even had Stitch Duran. I had, I mean, I've, there's a lot of stuff up there that I've gotten recently. Um, and so we put, put all that stuff up. And then we do these, you know, opinion-based uh, videos. Cool. Uh, and then we do sort of like that podcast style. Like we just did one for Pacquiao Thurman about the odds, how... Initially, it opened uh, with Thurman as a minus 140 favorite, and now Pacquiao's a minus 120 favorite. Wow. So anyway, the fight, guys. I don't even know how to tell you how to find it other than go to YouTube and put on the YouTube. We'll attach it to on the uh, the podcast notes so you guys can uh, find it and link to it easily. Yeah, and before I forget, because I always forget, and I'm starting to want to build this too, Yeah. at Peter Kahn, K-A-H-N on Twitter. Yeah, we'll get you more. Yeah, trust me, you need to get you more. You, the the Twitter the Twitter game is is interesting, man. Like you gotta get it. Uh, you gotta get it rolling. Yeah, I just try not time. to. I try not to get sucked into any Twitter wars. Yeah. So it's like I'm careful not to, you know, get in because I could easily just start. You're wrong. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Or, it's tough. And and uh, I mean, the fight fan on social media is a. It's it's a rough. It's a oh, rough thicket. Listen, to get the best is on. I, I I actually laugh like I was laughing out loud yesterday. When I actually on the most recent video that me and Brian did on the Pacquiao Thurman fight, yeah, uh, the 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 comments that people they're like we're we're like the dumbest guys, you know, yeah, like we're boxing casuals, as one Correct. guy said. You know nothing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I just want to answer all of them. Yeah, you guys just, but I just, don't answer any of them. You just gotta let it roll, man. Yeah, like it's just it's just it's just the way it is. It's like if I if I did a show based on the text machine that we have up. I would never get anything done. Right. I would never just get anything done. Just be fighting with people the whole time. Just be fighting with anonymous people that you don't, you don't, you have no idea. It's just, just what it is. Like, when I get comments these days on, on my social media, I'm just like, all right. Sometimes, and, and you know what? You'll get to a point, 
You're just laughing at it. I yeah, swear I, to God. I started laughing. Like these people like hate me, and they don't. I'm like, okay, you yeah, you don't even. know. I just said the odds. And you know what the funny thing is? If you engage back with them, sometimes if you do it in a funny way, they're just like, ah, I'm just messing. With you. But here's the thing, it's it's the Pacquiao fans. Yep, the Thurman fans. They it's all Pacquiao fans. Well, you know what? Listen. I'm a Pacquiao homer. I'm not going to lie. Pacquiao is one of the guys who I, I became almost addicted to the sport watching him. I love Manny Pacquiao. Um, any fight that he loses close to the judges, I think he got robbed. I'm I'm fully transparent about it. Um, and I, I love this fight because I, I just from my mindset, I always think he can turn back the clock. Like I always think he's going to go back to the old guy that he is. He's such a fun guy to watch fight. I love his personality. But Keith is fascinating because, you know, I was big on Keith on the rise with it. I've had him in studio before. Cool dude. Very interesting person. But he, there is, the, I think the intrigue of it is, look, if this is a guy who is welterweight champ of the world and kept rolling on that train, I wouldn't want Manny Pacquiao to be in there with him. But because he's a guy who's had injuries, a lot of injuries, trying to get healthy, trying to get right, um, and has been very open and honest about his rehab process and not wanting to jump in the shark tank right away. That's, that's going to have me wondering, all right, man, but you're still going in there with the hall of famer and all timer. What am I going to get? And that to me is going to say, you know, you're not getting in there with an absolute bum. And I haven't exactly seen you be like the one hitter, the one time, the one hitter quitter that you were on the rise up. So what are we getting in this matchup? What do you think? So to echo your, Send you know to your feelings here. Okay, I'm a big Pacquiao fan too. I know Manny. You know this. I spent yep. a lot of time. His last three training camps, I've been a part of because George Cambosis Jr. was his chief sparring partner. Yep. George fought on all three of those cards. I mean, a year ago, this week, I was in Kuala Lumpur as he was getting ready to fight Matisse. January, I was in Vegas, uh, first LA while they were finishing camp at Wildcard, then Vegas when he was fighting Broner. Yep. So I've spent a lot of time around Manny. Oh, talking about that, I did 90 seconds with Freddie Roach in the lobby, okay, in California, and that's already got like, you know, thou- tens of thousands, 60,000, awesome. 70,000 views. So I love this YouTube thing. You're addicted. So I'm addicted now. Just just talk to everybody. <laughs> I'm like calling people. Like I called like Andre last night. I'm like, hey, can we do something today? I'm like, but it's got to be on video. So, um, man, I did Mauricio Suleiman after he did this franchise. I text him, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, let's, can, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's corner that. Cause I want to get back to that. Okay. That so, too. um, so getting back to Pacquiao Thurman. So Pacquiao is Manny Pacquiao, the only eight division world champion in the history of boxing. No one's ever going to do that again. He's phenomenal. He's a legend. He's uh, the mother Teresa of boxing. He's the greatest human being that's ever put on a pair of boxing Dude, gloves. I, when I saw that, uh, it was for the Broner fight. And he I, does. He hands I, out money. I, I know where you're going with I've it. never seen hands out money. that. That it's is true. crazy to me. George told me about it. George said in the morning, he, they come out of the house and hands out money. <laughs> and then they go running. And everybody could run with them. Everybody, come on. There's not a fight week that goes on that he's not, that he doesn't have the sniffles. He, he has a cold every fight week by the end of fight week. That's wild. Because he's got a million people around him touching him, yep. sneezing, coughing, whatever they're doing. I'm just saying, he's just, he just he's that guy. That is why he's so relaxed. I'm actually going to write something today mm-hmm. about his fan base and how he's the most unconventional training camp. He has the most unconventional training camp that I've ever seen in boxing, where some guys go and they have to isolate themselves and right. be secluded. He'll go play basketball with his friends. 
He'll have everybody over and they'll all have dinner. They'll hang around. You walk in and, and people are sleeping on the couch. It's, it's, you know, it's just like a free for all. Has it changed? I don't know how, like what the timeline is of you being around him, but like the, the, the word was like back in the day it used to be wild. Like, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, I don't know why around, around, but like, I just know but, what I see but, now. But even still today, like, still likes a lot of people around him. He does, but but see, that's the thing. I guess that that's his comfort. And if you notice, he's just always smiling. I mean, just always smiling. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's... he's even uh, when he gets hit in the fights, it's like... Yeah. Hey. He's like, good job. He yeah, like claps. Hey, you did good. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, you got me. Um, so, so to get back to what I think is going to happen in this fight, um, I just think that, you know, as we all know, there's one opponent that's undefeated in boxing that's father time Mm -hmm. and there's an expression in boxing more than any other sport where people will say a fighter gets old overnight and we've seen guys from one fight to the next all of a sudden a guy that can't be hurt gets knocked out like roy jones jr yeah all of a sudden can't touch him tarver knocks him out then our boy glenn johnson knocks him out with a jab right it's like you know it happens and Roy is also one of the best fighters of all time. So I think that it's the, the big question mark for me is, is really, is Manny going to really start to look like the almost 41-year-old fighter that he is? Uh, I think people are underestimating Keith. I think I underestimated Keith, and I've changed my mind on this fight. Okay. Uh, and I, I did a 180 from something that I had written okay. where I thought initially when it was announced that Manny was going to win this fight, but then I really sat down and I looked at everything, and, and, and in fairness to myself, I made that decision the day after the Josecito Lopez fight. Okay. So I was purely basing it on somebody that fought a tough opponent to have as your first fight back after a two-year layoff. And I think he's, didn't he say he trained at LA Fitness? He did. That's crazy. Right. He did. And I've it, tried to get those LA Fitness heavy bags. It's not easy. These bastards will hog them. Yeah. And, and listen, ring rust is a real thing. It's, you can train in the gym for all those guys out there that think that they train in their garage and that they're ready to go. There's something called fighting shape. Mm-hmm. You could train in the gym. You can spar in the gym. But until you get in a real fight, until you're having to measure distance, until you have to pick up the timing of your opponent, uh, it's just, it's a different thing. And at this level, you can't make any mistakes. So against Lopez, he had been out for over two years, but we got to remember that when he left, he was coming off of a win against Sean Porter, Yep. then Danny Garcia. Errol Spence Jr. wasn't even, had, wasn't even welterweight champion yet. He hadn't even fought um, Kel Brook yet, which took place in May after the March Garcia fight. So Thurman was absolutely the top welterweight in the world. Had an elbow injury, got married, had to take care of his injury, a lot of time off. Yep. I mean, really, a lot of time off. Two years is a lot of time. But then he did come back. He did fight Lopez, who, very respectable fighter, yeah. who was in shape, came forward, gave him all the trouble he could handle. Keith had to a, had a deal with some adversity, but he did win that fight. It wasn't like it was a robbery. He won the fight. Yeah admittedly afterwards said this was not my best performance i know i didn't look good but he had to get active again and he then has been in camp he's you know he's i know he's working hard and i know he knows what he has ahead of him i mean at the end of the day he's the bigger man the younger man the stronger man he's still keith thurman still a heck of a welterweight boxer yeah boxer puncher and i just think that 
when I hear Freddie saying, oh, well, I hope Keith's a man of his word and stands his ground and hope that he takes some risks. Okay, well, you know, look, Manny, they're predicting, you know, Freddie, Manny's going to knock him out. Manny hasn't had a one-punch knockout since Ricky Hatton. And then Miguel Cotto was a stoppage, but it wasn't like the Ricky Hatton stoppage. No, but the thing that you do always have to worry about, and I know that's been a thing of him of not being able to stop guys, he, and, and this is this is tough when you do take him on, uh, even though he's been on the hose end of some some judges' calls. Rare are the fights that he's not going to sneak in an early knockdown and put somebody on their ass. Sure, like but it's, I it, just don't it, know if the 41-year-old Manny, I know they say the last thing to go is power, mm-hmm. but remember, he's also at his eighth wave class. Okay, I just don't know. It's almost, but it's almost like when people see a guy who's five five against them in 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 a, in a, a five a, six a, uh, sixty seven inch reach. Yeah, like it's like when they see that against, they're like, "This guy's not going to touch me." And then they, and it's just like bang, and it gets you. And if you, it's not even a question of power. Like first of all, he is very powerful. He does have those legs, but it, it's almost like it just it's always naturally going to take you by surprise because when is he fighting somebody who's his size? Remember, I I have I manage a fighter that did three hundred rounds with him. And he said that Manny's biggest asset is that the punches come from places you don't see. And, uh, and yeah, have you ever seen those calves? Have I seen those calves? Come on. <laughs> They're like my thighs. It's ridiculous. They're ridiculous. Um, so Manny has the power still. Uh, but I just, I just think that it, it's, you know, it's going to be a good fight uh, if I were a betting man. Uh, and first of all, I think this thing's going to end up at even money. I think it's going to be a pick em fight. Okay. So it's shifted the early money, the opening line on Thurman. 62% of the money right now has been coming in on Pacquiao. A lot of that is because Pacquiao has a big fan base that's betting with their hearts. He's got a whole nation. He has... Uh, so you think like it'll be one of those things where if, if it gets to the point where people can get fat odds on Thurman, like that big oh, money's going to go on The late money's going to come on Thurman, and we're going to have minus you know, 110, minus 110. It's just going to be even money. It's going to be a pick and fight. When we get back, whoever comes out of this... Where does this welterweight division go from it? Because it's got a lot of questions. So we'll be back with more on Fighters Fury right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury here on 790, The Ticket. Joined in studio by Peter Kahn, boxing manager extraordinaire, the fight guys on YouTube. Check them out there. Boxing writer for Forbes. Check him out there. He's got a lot of great content coming your way at Peter Kahn, K-A-H-N on Twitter. Check him out there as well. Um, so we were talking about the Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman fight. And whoever comes out of this is is interesting to me because Manny was at the last Errol Spence fight uh, in Dallas when he's, he beat Mikey Garcia. Uh, he's going to be fighting Sean Porter sometime in the fall. Obviously, everybody wants to see you know him versus Terence Crawford. If you were a, 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 a boxing, if if you if you could have a, a boxing genie make everything perfect and and things were on the same side of the street, you'd love to see those two go at it and see who comes out on top. But more than likely, the PBC thing's all going to stay within each other. I would think. No, you don't think so? I'm shaking my head. They can't see me shaking my head. So you don't. Th- you so you do. You I think- have a funny story. Okay. So first of all, you are right about ninety percent of it. Okay, Porter's going to fight Spence. Pacquiao's fighting Thurman. Right. The winners will fight each other. What I would think, yeah. Then PBC will be holding three out of those four welterweight belts. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have the Crawford fight. It's going to happen. Okay. It's going to happen. So, so, so it's going to, so the winner, but you do think that it, this is, 
that that the winner of Pacquiao Thurman is going to fight the winner of Porter. Oh, I know it's, ha- it's definitely happening. Okay, and then the winner of that is going to fight uh, Terrence Crawford. Okay, so I also wrote about this maybe like a couple months ago, and so you know, there's a reason why Bob Arum jumped in the ring after Crawford beat Khan and said, "I'll you know, Al, give me a call. <laughs> I can't do the voice. It's just, it's not working today. Um, I'll try." But uh, <clears throat> I'll try once I give you another little story. I had lunch with Bob last week. So so here we are. Um, he jumps in there. And, of course, he jumps in there, says he wants to make it work. Because at that point, you know, he could make an argument for a 50-50 deal. The minute that Spence and Porter fight, the minute that Pacquiao and Thurman fight, the minute that, that Errol Spence Jr., who would be the favorite in that whole scenario, right, to have all three of those belts mm-hmm. well it's no longer a 50 50 deal meaning you know pbc is holding 75 percent of those belts in the welterweight division so of course bob wants to make a deal yeah now absolutely. because you know it's you're it's, gonna be up against that one right point. well at that that point they can make the argument that they've also so what's going to happen is this they're also going to be able to show pay-per-view numbers mm-hmm. they're going to say pacquiao thurman was excellent they're going to say spence porter was good but then they're going to say potentially Thurman Spence, you know, whoever the winners are, or Pacquiao Spence, is through the roof. So they're going to have this story to tell. Who's what's the story Crawford's going to tell? That's tough. So the leverage is going to be all with PBC. Mm-hmm. The leverage is going to be with yeah. Let's say that- we've been building this whole pay per view. You know, this we not only do we have three of these welterweight belts, we've already proven yeah. that this pay per view thing is now been well, growing. especially if Manny does come out on top. I mean, it's kind of guaranteed that that pay-per-view is going to sm- – like Manny Pacquiao has a chance to basically hold the majority of the welterweight championship of the world. That's going to do great business compared to whatever right. next fight Crawford has. And Showtime and Fox have the means to really make sure that they promote this. Yeah. Not, not that ESPN doesn't. They absolutely do. But this is going to give the leverage to, to PBC. So I'm at lunch in at Pachanga with Bob and Lou DiBella, right, mm-hmm. because we're doing talking having conversation. I think you saw that picture. Yeah. Right? So we're having conversation and it's like an hour and a half and we're sitting there and then finally we're, we're done and meeting with our business at hand. And I just casually think I could slip one in to Bob and, uh, and I say, so Bob, are you and Al going to start working together? And without missing a, without skipping a beat, he goes enough with the right of questions. <laughs> just like that. Like this one's no time. He, 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 no time he knew I put that hat on. <laughs> He's like, you're not getting me. <laughs> oh, look, even at his age, sharp. Oh, sharp. Let me tell you, sharp's an understatement. He sure. knows. He knows every fighter. He knows every situation. He knows everything that's going on. It takes a special kind of mind, doesn't it? Like, it's it's funny that even at even at his age, like eighty seven, almost eighty eight. Think, think about that. Uh, you know, I think about a guy like Vince McMahon and even WWE. Like, why why do they still want to do this? Like, you would think like doing all the success in the world. Why do they want to travel to here to here to make fights happen? It's wild to me. Like that, that, but keeps him going. Keeps him going. But he knows every single fighter, every situation, every potential matchup. Uh, You know, we were talking about some other guys that I have that I have one that's independent, Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis Hogan, who's in a pretty good situation right now. Oh, let's jump off to this real quick. Yeah, Mungi is going to fight Triple J. Is that what you're going to ask me? No. You know what I saw? I saw this week that I got to ask you about the Canelo situation. Because sure. there's so many. September 14th. September 14th, obviously. Uh, either Las Vegas or Texas. 
But I saw that they were talking. They lowballed ta- Kovalev. They lowballed Kovalev. Okay. According to so Kovalev, the Kovalev thing was out there. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I right. don't get. It. I know that many that Canelo has big ones. Right. But but this is consistent with the franchise. But I don't understand the fight. I don't. I don't. I don't get the appeal of it. It's him just showing that he can go from 60 to 68 to 75 as he wishes, and that's how he holds on to that championship status. That's the reason for the the franchise appointment is not a belt. It's basically saying that if he chooses to go fight at light heavyweight, he's representing the WBC. Yeah. It's not really a championship. It, he, they, he's their guy. He's their like, guy. Like, he's representing them. He's not getting a spe- There's no such thing as a franchise belt. But they're not going to strip him of his middleweight belt. If Mungia fights Triple G, the WBO is going to strip him of his junior middleweight belt. Okay. That he should not be holding still because Dennis Hogan beat him and got robbed. <laughs> but I'm partial. I but I also think I'm but correct. I, but I understand. And you agree. I do. No, I everybody thought, I thought Hogan won that fight. Yeah, um, me too. But I, I, saw, I saw headlines this week that there was even talk of a Triple G, I mean, a, a canelo Mungia fight. Do you see that being any like? Why would Oscar so, put his guys up against each uh, other if that was a possibility? That was the possibility going into the Hogan fight, but after we exposed Mungia, they're not going to do that. I don't think so because okay. they would basically be, it would be like cannibalism. Yeah, and that's what I found weird about it because I thought I know that they love Mungia and they love his style. And he's young and he's young. I mean, you know, he had a bad fight. What? It's almost like. It's 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 not completely reminiscent of of Canelo versus Floyd, but that's Floyd. I don't think it's fair to Mungia. I think that coming off the Hogan fight, right? Even though he got a bad decision, mm-hmm. I know that he knows that he didn't win, and I think his confidence might be a little bit shaken. Okay. So I think that like they need to bring him back in something that's gonna build his confidence, or. They're just looking to cash out on him, hence why they would even consider the Triple G fight. So, from, from the Canelo thing, Wanda But fight. remember, it's all going to have to stay in the zone family. Right. Well, so I wanted to ask about Canelo. Uh, we were just coming off a weekend where Charlo got himself a win. He's the WBC regular middleweight champion. Uh, and then Demetrius Andrade winning the way he did, uh, maintaining his WBO championship. Are either of those guys going to be in play to get a piece of Canelo to, I guess, find out who undisputed middleweight champion is? Or is it most likely going to be, you know, the, is the fight in September going to be a Kovalev and then Triple G is going to be the plan Cinco de Mayo next year and we're never really going to get those guys or no, no time soon going to get Canelo in a ring with Andre or Charlo? They have to. I mean, at some point they have to get this show on the road. I mean, at some point, they have, uh, you know, when you look at Matchroom having Android, when you look at Golden Boy having Canelo, mm-hmm. and you look at Triple G is completely independent, but he's with the zone. Mm-hmm. He's his own promoter. I mean, all those pieces are there. The only one that's not there is Charlo. But, you know, for a big enough fight that, I mean, Charlo's not going to say no, and, and Heyman's not going to say no. Right, so, right. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking. I do know that they have the luxury of dancing in three weight divisions yeah. with Canelo. So I, I know that that's going to be, you know, that decision is going to be forthcoming like within the next week. Is there a guy, um, is either one of Charlo or Andre, do you feel like they're good enough to beat Canelo? And do you think that um, 
they will be reigning over that division for a while, or do you think there's somebody else who's going to end up being middleweight champ? I think Canelo has to, if I were to want us for the storyline, I think that don't put Andrade against Triple G because he might beat him. Right. And then that eliminates the, you know, the trilogy mm-hmm. and the ability to put closure on that thing for everybody. So I think you do Canelo against Andrade, which also runs the risk of ruining that. But no, if you're no. not going to do that, then what do you have Andrade around for? Well, and I think that, I think he I think, be, I think I, he beats Triple G before he beats Canelo. That's maybe where I'm going with that. And in a weird way, I do think that the zones never gotten more exposure than the Andy Ruiz upset of of Anthony Joshua, and that next fight is going to be a monster for them. Uh, Google Peter Con Forbes and put in uh, Andy Ruiz or Snickers or DAZN. I wrote a piece about that. that yeah. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to DAZN. And I put actual statistics, like actual data and metrics that back that up. So it's true. Yeah. So if, if Andre does go beat Canelo, Canelo's got a what? It's a 10-fight well, deal I'm, here's the thing, deal with but him? Here, like, that's... But it's 11-fight deal. But here's the thing. Then what happens is Triple G's in no man's land. Triple G at this, this stage of his career really needs to fight this Canelo fight mm-hmm. and then go off into the sunset. He either wins or loses. Can I ask you from this? Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to keep diverting on this. Now that they're both under the zone, mm-hmm. business-wise, aren't they just given guaranteed money anyway? Like, do they need to fight each other? Because, look, I love, I love both of those fights. I'm not jonesing for a third fight. I'm kind, of, and I'm, I'm usually the guy who's like, I kind of want to see something new. Um, I would understand that if we were in traditional pay-per-view, and obviously, you want to put Canelo against a heated rivalry. They hate each other. Uh. Is that is that more a need for DAZN to do that fight because they want subscribers, or is that a need for Gennady to do that fight because his deal's pending on it? I don't know how that well, works now out, with it's out, streaming. Outside of the public's consciousness, right? Canelo and Triple G, obviously both being with DAZN, guarantees no impediment to making that final fight. People in boxing have known Andrade since the Olympics. Yeah. Know how great of a fighter he is, but he just just hadn't had that public uh, push, and now he's he's getting in there. I think Golden Boy, uh, prior to April 13th, when Hogan beat Umgia, but didn't get the nod by the judges. Right. You know I'm going to keep coming back That's to okay. that. Okay. Um, they were they were planning on building Mungia to get him in that mix. So now Mungia became a piece that they can put against Andrade or Triple G, you know, and then set up for a big Canelo fight. But I think that they kind of had to take a step back on that. Yeah. I don't know who who it's going to be, but uh, obviously they're all going to start fighting each other. It's just a matter of which order they fight each other. And you're right. The greatest thing that happened to the zone from a subscription standpoint was Andrew Ruiz beating Joshua, and the rematch is going to be even bigger. Yeah. And I think for Canelo's sake, like, I'm not a, like, you can't really give him any any kind of label of ducking like the guy does take risks and uh and and does do fun fights to even think about the Kovalev fight you know that that just shows that I just think that you know I'm always in I I I wish boxing the one thing I want is just more of a desire for guys to get to an undisputed standpoint because we do have all these belts 
I understand the purpose of them from a marketing standpoint. It's great to have guys with belts, but if we're going to have divisions, I want to know who the guy is. The fact that there are more world titles with the sanctioned bodies give more fighters at the championship level basically fight between two and three times a year, depending on the weight class. I gotcha. So, you know, to that point, uh, I mean, boxing isn't something guys could do forever. No, no, I get you. So they like kind of, they got to kind of keep it, it moving. It, it does help I mean? from a, a standpoint because belts are, it, it does tie people to want to see people fight for a championship. There are world champions out there that will never get a chance to fight for a world title. Yeah, 100%. Or they'll have a bad night due to circumstances like Saul, and they will now go to the back of the line mm-hmm. and have to work their way back into the mix. That could take two years. Yeah. So when you're 26 and you have... And you got to get to 28, or if you're 28, then you got to get to 30. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're on that trajectory to getting in line for a world title. Well, now you go back, and as you're going back, there are other guys making their ascension. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really tough. We saw that recently with... um, Who was Buddy? Uh, Erickson Lubin. They put him in there with Charlo very, uh, very young. That's right. Um, Looked like, I mean, just an absolute highlight reel when he was coming up. Suffers the devastating knockout, and now he's just kind of getting into the mix. And he even knows. He's like, look, I know it's all kind of tied up, so give me somebody, I guess, top 10 to keep busy. Oh, so what if I told you that you might see him against Dennis Hogan in a WBC-ordered final eliminator? I would be very interested in that fight. Final eliminator to fight the winner of Harrison Charlo. I would be very interested in that fight. I mean, could happen. Yeah, it's how is uh, how is uh, you mentioned Saul Rodriguez, who we've had on the show. Um, how is he dealing with the loss? Because you've had, a, like we said, a very busy last thirty days, last sixty days of traveling, and you've kind of been on both ends of it of having this awesome homecoming for for George Cambosos and and all that stuff. But then you had to deal with uh, the the tough loss that Saul had. Is is he doing okay health wise? And is he you handling know, it all right? Look, the only thing that matters to me is the fact that we can leave the arena smiling, laughing, come back to fight another day. It happens. Is he dealing with it okay? Because yeah. he's a, uh, just getting a little time with him, and uh, no, just uh, he's a funny dude, man. He's a fun-loving dude. Yeah. So he, He's a good guy. He's young. He's very funny. Uh, you know, he has his meme page that he's, that he's so all about. He's one of the funniest people on, on Instagram. Right, and, he, and he's very quiet. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, in person, he's very chill, very quiet, devastating puncher. But, you know, you live by the sword, die totally. by the sword. And uh, he got caught. Fight Guys on YouTube, Forbes, you got some Manny Pacquiao stuff coming up. Uh, anything else you're excited for before we get out of here, man? Chris Van Heerden fights August 17th. I love that guy. Uh, I really believe in my heart wholeheartedly that he's going to fight Terrence Crawford two fights from now. Cool. Um, whether it's before a unification scenario, he's going to fight August 17th. He'll then fight one more time, and and I really believe that he is going to be a Cinderella story. Check us out, uh, the Fight Guys, uh, on YouTube, you, you know, me and Brian Mazik. Always a pleasure, Peter Kahn. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you. We Always. will talk to you guys same time, same place next week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.